In the middle of a busy emergency room shift, you enter the next pod and meet the Thompsons. The family is from the U.S., but is currently on vacation in your sunny island home. Their six-year-old daughter became ill with watery diarrhea yesterday, and now both parents have the same symptoms. They describe feeling awful with fevers, abdominal cramps, nausea, and no appetite. Their daughter's most recent stool had blood streaks. The father notes, with all three of them feeling ill, it's been hard to take care of their daughter to make sure she's drinking enough. As you evaluate the daughter, you see she has a fever to 100.5 Fahrenheit, but otherwise normal vital signs. Her abdomen is soft, with mild, generalized tenderness. Her parents each have similar findings. As you order IV fluids for all three of them, you wonder... What could be causing such a severe diarrheal illness that spreads so quickly to all three of them? Consider your answers as we begin this next episode. Welcome to Audio Bricks. I'm Adam Weinstein, bringing microbiology from our bricks to your ears. After completing this section, you'll be able to differentiate the microbiologic characteristics of Salmonella species and Shigella species, describe the host risk factors, mode of transmission, and pathobiology of diseases caused by these organisms, describe the clinical manifestations of diseases caused by these organisms, and discuss the prevention and treatment of these infections. Part 1. Salmonella and Shigella species. Salmonella and Shigella infections are often grouped together because both are bacteria in the Enterobacteriaceae family, and they are typically spread by contact with food and or less sanitary conditions, result in gastrointestinal symptoms, and they start with a letter S. While they are more common in developing communities, they are quite prevalent in the United States and other developed nations as well. With that in mind then, let's discuss some tools and strategies to distinguish these two bacteria and their clinical presentations. Part two, identifying Salmonella and Shigella in the lab. Like other bacteria, Salmonella and Shigella species can be identified and distinguished with the aid of the gram stain, their growth preferences, motility and biochemical characteristics, and virulence factors. As we begin to discuss their laboratory features, it's helpful to keep in mind that Salmonella and Shigella species are difficult to distinguish by gram staining. They are both gram-negative bacilli, which means they both appear as pink, rod-shaped bacteria on gram stain. Likewise, they also have similar growth preferences. Salmonella species are facultative anaerobes that grow between 43 degrees and 150 degrees Fahrenheit, or 6.1 to 46.1 degrees Celsius, and has a pH range of 4.1 to 9.0, though it has an optimum pH range of 7.0 to 7.5. Shigella species are also facultative anaerobes that grow between 50 and 104 Fahrenheit, or 10 to 40 degrees Celsius, and in a pH greater than 4.5. Even though they have a similar pH range, Shigella are generally able to survive and grow at lower pH conditions as compared to Salmonella. Since both bacteria grow in a wide range of environments, 
This hearty nature explains why it is so important to cook our food and wash our hands well to prevent infection. Hmm. This makes me wonder if the Thompson family could have acquired their diarrheal infections while on their vacation. Is it related to contaminated food at all the all-you-can-eat buffets? Given how similar Salmonella and Shigella species appear on gram stain, and with regards to their growth preferences, we are fortunate there are some motility and biochemical characteristics that we can use to distinguish between the species. First, one key difference is that Salmonella species have flagella and therefore are motile, whereas Shigella species are non-motile. And a key biochemical test that allows us to differentiate them is called the triple sugar iron test. This test checks for an organism's ability to ferment lactose, sucrose, and or glucose. If the organism is able to ferment these sugars, it will turn the agar medium from pink-violet to a yellow color. Additionally, if the organism can also reduce sulfur, it will produce hydrogen sulfide, which will turn the medium from yellow to black. Salmonella species do not ferment lactose. However, they do ferment glucose, turning the medium yellow. And they also reduce sulfur, thus producing hydrogen sulfide and turning the medium to a yellow-black to black color. Shigella species also ferment glucose, whereas they do not reduce sulfur. And therefore, Shigella will turn the medium to yellow in color, but not to black. Now, let's compare and contrast Salmonella and Shigella's virulence factors. Since both are gram-negative organisms, they both have lipopolysaccharides, or endotoxins, in their outer cell membrane. These initiate a strong immune response and result in many of the symptoms associated with the infections. Salmonella typhi species, the bacteria that causes typhoid fever, has an additional virulence factor a VI capsule antigen, which provides heat resistance. All Shigella species have two additional virulence factors. These include cell membrane adhesins that allow the bug to bind onto cell surfaces, as well as invasion plasmid antigens that allow it to directly enter into host cells. One type of Shigella, Shigella dysenteriae, may secrete a Shiga enterotoxin, which when it enters cells, it stops protein synthesis. Of note, this is a different strain from the Shigella strains common to the United States. In the common U.S. strains, the Shiga toxin is not produced, and Shigella uses its adhesins and invasion plasmid antigens to invade and penetrate directly through intestinal epithelial cells. Okay, let's review what we just went over with a question. What lab tests can help distinguish Salmonella from Shigella? Salmonella and Shigella will appear similar on gram stain and demonstrate similar growth preferences, but can be distinguished by the triple sugar iron test because Salmonella ferments glucose and reduces sulfur, turning the medium yellow-black whereas Shigella does not reduce sulfur, so the medium stays yellow. Part 3. Where are Salmonella and Shigella found, and how are they spread? 
Most non-typhi salmonella species are found in animal reservoirs, spreading mainly through poultry, eggs, and certain pets, for example, domestic reptiles like turtles and iguanas. However, contaminated vegetables as well as peanut butter have also caused deadly multi-state outbreaks. Salmonella species requires a high infectious dose to cause disease because human gastric acids can lower the pH sufficiently to make them less active. Salmonella typhi, unlike other salmonella species, is only found in human reservoirs. Humans may also become carriers of salmonella typhi after infection if the organism colonizes the gallbladder. Shigella species are also found only in human reservoirs. Since they are hardier and survive better even at lower pH, they can cause infection with a very low infectious dose. Let's consider this more with a question break. What is the relevance of gastric acid with regards to Salmonella and Shigella infections? Gastric acid can inactivate Salmonella, making it less able to grow, which means that high numbers of Salmonella bacteria are needed to bypass this host defense to result in disease. On the other hand, Shigella is more resilient to acid, so just a small number of organisms can cause disease. Given the widespread use of proton pump inhibitors and their alteration of gastric pH, recent studies have suggested an increasing incidence of gastrointestinal bacterial colonization and increased susceptibility to infection while on these medications. In healthy individuals, Salmonella and Shigella infections are considered community-acquired infections. It's important to note Salmonella species other than Typhi are mainly spread through eating undercooked contaminated food or direct contact with animal reservoirs, whereas Shigella infection and Salmonella Typhi infection are spread mainly through person-to-person -person contact or fecal-oral transmission. Healthcare-associated infections have been traced to poor hand-washing practices. Salmonella may disproportionately affect patients with sickle cell and pernicious anemia. Patients with sickle cell anemia are more likely to develop salmonella osteomyelitis, liver and splenic abscesses, and bacteremia, potentially related to these patients' functional asplenia. Given the hypoacidity of the gastrointestinal tract in pernicious anemia, these patients are more susceptible to salmonella at a lower bacterial load. Before moving on, I wanted to mention an important clinical correlate about salmonella osteomyelitis. In the United States, osteomyelitis is most commonly caused by Staphylococcus aureus. However, we just noted that if a patient has sickle cell anemia, they are also at risk for salmonella-induced osteomyelitis. That being said, it is important to keep in mind when deciding antibiotic coverage, even in patients with sickle cell anemia, Staphylococcus aureus is still the most common cause of osteomyelitis. Part 4. What is the clinical presentation of Salmonella and Shigella infections? Shigella and most Salmonella species present with a gastrointestinal infection, most commonly a bacterial colitis. So thinking back to our patients, the Thompson family, I wonder if we have enough information to determine whether they might have Salmonella or Shigella. 
Well, Shigella infection typically presents with high-frequency, low-volume, bloody stool with substantial abdominal cramping. Salmonella may present similarly, but the diarrheal illness may be initially more watery and may only later become bloody, if at all. Now, the presentation of Salmonella typhi infections are different, and I'll go into that more in a second. But let's recall what Salmonella typhi is the cause of. Yes, it's typhoid fever. Although it has become less common in developed nations, there were still 12.5 million cases of typhoid fever worldwide in 2015, with the majority found in India. So there's a lot of this going around. And it may come of no surprise that typhoid fever presents with fever. Other presenting symptoms include constipation and abdominal pain, often followed by diarrhea several weeks later. There is also a characteristic rose-colored flat macular rash, which usually distributes on the chest and abdomen. Without antibiotics, the mortality of typhoid fever is a worrisome 10 to 30%. Prompt treatment brings that rate down to 1%, but 3 to 5% of patients may become chronic carriers. Okay, now for a question break. What is unique about the initial presentation of Salmonella typhi infection as compared to infection by Shigella species as well as other Salmonella species? Salmonella typhi infection initially presents with constipation in addition to abdominal pain and fever, whereas the initial presentation of Shigella and non-typhi Salmonella infection is diarrhea in addition to abdominal pain and fever. Part 5. How are Salmonella and Shigella infections prevented and treated? To address the burden of Salmonella and Shigella, the role of vaccines and antibiotics has been investigated. Although no vaccine exists for non-typhi Salmonella species or Shigella species, there are both an oral live attenuated and intramuscular against the VI capsular polysaccharide antigen vaccines available for patients at high risk for Salmonella typhi. Nevertheless, large-scale prevention focuses on handwashing and appropriate food preparation. With regards to treatment, infection with non-typhi Salmonella species is often self-limited, and antibiotics prolong the duration of fecal excretion, enhancing its transmission and spread. Therefore, routine treatment with antibiotics is not recommended. Antibiotics are only given to patients with bacteremia or severe infection, as well as those with high risk for invasive infection, such as those with immunocompromise or patients with sickle cell anemia and neonates. On the other hand, given the high morbidity and mortality of Salmonella typhi, antibiotics are recommended, and typically a third-generation cephalosporin or fluoroquinolone is used. Shigella species infections are also treated with similar antibiotics, and in Shigella's case, this has been shown to both improve symptoms while not adversely affecting the duration of transmissibility. Antibiotics are typically given orally unless there are specific indications related to the severity of the infections. Notably, these organisms are developing antibiotic resistance, and it is wise to consult a local antibiogram prior to initiating treatment. 
an antibiogram provides location-specific information regarding known antimicrobial susceptibility of specific bugs and can aid in the selection of the most appropriate treatment in a given community. Let's try one more question before we wrap up. Are antibiotics advised for treating all salmonella infections? No. Most cases of salmonella will resolve spontaneously, and antibiotics have demonstrated to result in a prolonged duration of fecal excretion and potential spread of the infection. Only patients with bacteremia or other severe infections, or those with underlying risk, such as immunocompromise, require antibiotics. And that's all I have today for Salmonella and Shigella. Let's see if we've completed our goals for this episode. First, can you differentiate the microbiologic characteristics of Salmonella and Shigella species? Salmonella are gram-negative motile bacilli that are facultative anaerobes and that produce hydrogen sulfide and thus make the triple sugar iron test media turn yellow-black, whereas Shigella are gram-negative non-motile bacilli. They are also facultative anaerobes but do not produce hydrogen sulfide, so the triple sugar iron test media stays yellow. Next, can you describe the host risk factors, mode of transmission, and pathobiology of diseases caused by these organisms? Non-typhi salmonella infection is transmitted through ingestion of undercooked, contaminated food or direct contact with animal reservoirs, whereas salmonella typhi and Shigella species infections are transmitted through person-to-person fecal-oral contact. Patients with immunocompromise, as well as sickle cell anemia and pernicious anemia, are at increased risk for salmonella infection. Okay, now can you describe the clinical manifestations of the diseases caused by these organisms? Non-typhi salmonella and shigella most commonly present with a diarrheal illness in association with fever and abdominal pain and cramping. In salmonella infection, diarrhea may start more watery and may later become bloody. With shigella, the diarrhea is typically lower volume, frequent, and with blood. Salmonella typhi is the cause of typhoid fever and presents with fever, constipation, and abdominal pain. It may be accompanied by a macular, salmon-colored rash on the chest and abdomen. Lastly, can you discuss the prevention and treatment of these infections? The mainstay of prevention is properly cooking food and ideal hand washing and hygiene. There is also an oral live attenuated and an intramuscular VI capsular polysaccharide vaccine for Salmonella typhi. Salmonella typhi and Shigella infections are typically treated with a third generation cephalosporin or a fluoroquinolone. However, non-typhi Salmonella infections are most often self-limited and not treated with antibiotics because these prolong the duration of fecal excretion of the organism. 
Armed with your newfound knowledge of Salmonella and Shigella, let's revisit our patient story from the beginning of this episode. If you recall, you are caring for the Thompsons, who are on a family vacation, and all seem to have developed diarrhea, fevers, and abdominal cramping. They described their daughter's diarrhea as watery at first, and today it had some blood streaks. As you order IV fluids for all three of them, you wonder, what could be causing such a severe diarrheal illness that spread so quickly to all three of them? You recall that most diarrheal illnesses can be allowed to run their course, but with the fever and abdominal tenderness and blood streaks, you are thinking about bacterial causes. You wonder about exposures and go back to the room and get more history. You find out that they recently adopted a pet turtle named Sleepy during their trip. Putting this all together, you suspect they have a salmonella infection, noting that turtles may be colonized with that bacteria and it could have spread to the family through turtle-to-person contact. You confirm that the family is otherwise healthy and send out a stool culture to confirm the illness. You reassure the family if this is the case, salmonella is typically a self-limited and spontaneously resolving illness, and you encourage them to hydrate and rest in their hotel room as much as possible before they are due to return home. You refer them to a local urgent care center where they can follow up over the following days to be sure their symptoms and the infection resolves as expected and to monitor for any signs of severe illness, which could require more treatment, such as antibiotics. And that's all I have for Salmonella and Shigella. Thanks for joining me. If you like this episode, give it a thumbs up or a comment. You can enjoy the full Brick experience online at www.usmle-rx.com, complete with illustrations, questions, flashcards, and active learning. Stay healthy out there.